My next guest, Saraka Sriram, is an example of somebody who got bitten by a passion, not when she expected it, but it just happened. And she found she had to follow that passion no matter what she was doing. And I think a lot of us in the reinvention world are finding that now is the time to go after those passions that may have bitten us early and maybe we couldn't pursue right away. Um, And the big question is, what's the segue from what you do now to that thing that's your passion, which may not have any likeness to what you do currently and trying to find that bridge is hard. And a lot of you say to me that it's also hard if you can't dump a lot of money at it. Um, Here is a wonderful example of somebody who went to school to become a translator and she lived all around the world. Um, A really interesting story, grew up in Germany and speaks six languages and then decided this is really boring. (laughs) I don't wanna do this anymore. I need a more fulfilling life and started following women's issues, which she really loved, got herself uh, to various working groups, um, helping women around the world and just kept observing um, what was going on and found herself in a small fishing village in, I think it's in Belize and finding that there was a link between domestic violence and the pollution of the oceans that was going on today. And she wanted to get involved and change this. And she says she's not a scientist. She knows nothing about, she knew nothing about the oceans and about the environment and all that. But she took some MOOCs, which are free. She spent, she said, as long as you can spend some time on Google, you can find an awful lot. Anyway, she did. And now she goes, she, well, she doesn't go around the country because we're all locked down in COVID, but normally she would, and she has gone around the world talking, doing the translating um, for a lot of science that's out there, but bringing it to teaching real life people about what's going on with the oceans and with uh, the environment and how that impacts human beings. So it's a really interesting story of somebody saying, okay, I'm going to brainstorm my way into something new. And as she says, she didn't, uh, she didn't have the money to throw at it. So she did it um, inexpensively and sort of leads a path for someone like you. So let's welcome Tharaka. Hi Tharaka, so glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Leslie, hello. I am so happy to, you know, I got a degree in, uh, in sustainability, which I have not put into action at all. (laughs) And so here's my chance. I'm like, yes, we're going to talk about the oceans. We're going to talk about ecology. We're going to, I'm so excited. So it's a double whammy for me. I'm like, you know, I gotta, I've got to make some use of that, that degree that I got. So let's talk a little bit about you, where you grew up. And what was your, you know, trajectory out of school and what did you learn to do? And then we'll talk Mm -hmm. about your transformation after. Okay, Leslie. So um, my name is Sarah Hasriram and um, I grew up in Germany. I was born in Germany. My parents are from Sri Lanka. So they're both Tamils. They 
um, came as war refugees to Germany. And that's where I was born in the Black Forest next to Stuttgart. Um, that's also where I went to school. And then later on, I went to university and studied Spanish and political sciences. And what the heck did you do with that? That's a really, that, I mean, like, how did you get from there to what we're going to, what we're talking about? I don't understand. Oh, yeah, it's been a long, long trajectory. So, <laughs> so um, what first, a great, but what a great beginning. That's so interesting. What did your parents do in Germany? Why did they, was that just where they were able to immigrate to? Yes, exactly. Actually, they wanted to go to Canada, but they were caught at the border. So um, that's why they ended up in Germany in a way. Um, yeah. And then, uh, so what the question, the good, very good question is, what did I do with all these degrees? So when I was in school, I always wanted to be um, an interpreter. I was fascinated with languages. Um, now I speak six languages fluently, which will, it's just something that I'm also going to um, come back to later. Um, and then I discovered while doing an internship as an interpreter in an office that was so boring. So basically what you do, you just translate what other people say or what other people think or write. And um, there's, no, there's no space for your own thoughts. So then I thought, no, I don't want to be like all my life only being um, like uh, a bridge between the um, thoughts of other people and what I think. So I want to have my own say, you know, have my own opinion out there. So then I thought, okay, political sciences. And then I thought, okay, I want to work for women's rights. I want to work for the United Nations. Um, what I both did, you know, I was working for NGOs, focusing on women's rights and also for the UNESCO as a volunteer and um, for UNDP and as a United Nations volunteers, a volunteer, exactly. And can you give me an example of what kind of stuff you did? Were you capacity building? What were you doing? Mm -hmm. So for example, with the United Nations volunteers, I was in Cote d'Ivoire, um, like Ivory Coast in Western Africa. And there I was responsible to build networks for youth volunteer or youth organizations um, because the country has been or had been going through, that was 2013 when I was there had been going through a rough patch, um, a civil war. And then I was there to build up the confidence of the youth organizations um, and able to, or like, enable to, uh, sorry, enable them to um, come together and work on a common cause, which is um, working on building up the country again after that conflict. Maybe you can do that here. <laughs> <laughs> we need we need capacity building right now here. Oh uh, yeah, I think so, something that is needed everywhere. So mm -hmm. you were working with them, and then um, how did you get into the women's part of it? So I grew up in a very conservative household. My parents are both Tamils, and they have very very strict values in terms of what a woman's um, life is supposed to look like. So I was always expected to marry the man that they chose. I was suspect like supposed to not have a boyfriend until I was married, you know. So at a very early age, because I had always this divide of like, I was living in Germany in a very modern country. And as soon as I stepped out into the house, like I was coming back from school and then I was in my parents' house um, and there was this double life, you know, between the very, very traditional culture 
and then the modern culture outside. So I realized that there are a lot of discrepancies in terms of a woman's role. So very early on when I was like 13, 14, like puberty, where typically people also start to rebel and question, ask a lot of questions. Um, I also thought like, why am I not supposed to have the free life that the German girls also have, you know? Um, and then I read a lot about, about women all around the world, how they also challenge the status quo that they live in. And then I decided for myself, I don't want to live like a typically um, Tamil girl. You know, I want to be modern. I want to be European. Um, and that's how it all started. What did your parents think of that? I bet they weren't too happy with that. I, I remember no, doing stories, not <laughs> of, yeah, stories of uh, when I was running Mary Claire, a lot of stories about <clears throat> exactly that a lot in London of immigrants coming in and the family wanting to be very traditional and the children mm -hmm. not wanting to be. So were you a rebel? Did you, did you stay with your family? Did you leave them? No, I left them. Like well, as soon as I, um, got my what is that high school um 18 19 i left for university so that was the happiest day of my life you know like finally freedom um and i think nowadays they're kind of proud of what i do still they don't understand what i do and there is still especially my mom she's not really happy with what i do because i haven't followed the path of having an arranged marriage you know like not having children and all these things so yeah so how do you nav navigate that? Do you still see them? Um, sometimes, you know, but for me, that is not that important because I think, and that's also part of reinventing yourself, um, is because I've worked with a lot of women and girls um, who are not only, it's not only navigating your family, but also navigating your friends or your relatives or um, the whole social system that you were brought up with. Maybe that is not the system that you're supposed to grow old with, you know, and maybe the kind of people that are in the social system that you grew up with is not good for you, you know. So um, I think it's a question of redefining what you want for yourself and then go and look for the group of people that are able to give you that kind of support. So I made kind of my own family and people that and that's I also found that in women's organizations that I've been part of for many, many years. Um, women who have a different vision of the world and they also see themselves as change agents for that new world, so to speak. So that what that is what became my family. So who was influential for you in that respect when helping you deal with that? Because that's a really big mm -hmm. change. That's a was there someone in your life um, who was instrumental in moving you through? Was there a woman in your life that did that for you or showed you what life could be that was different? Yes, Leslie, definitely. I was really lucky that I found mentors as soon as I went to university. I joined a women's organization, which is named Courage or Courage. Um, yeah, it means courage. So um, I was really um, lucky to have two ladies who were mentoring me and who were like there for me on a daily basis. So these are the women who showed me the ropes and also they showed me how to fight politically, how to um, have an argument, you know, and how to formulate your own thoughts and how to think for yourself. So they are the ones that really shaped me in the way that I am today. 
That's amazing. So let's talk about um, you decided you didn't want to be a trans a translator, even though that's what you thought you were going to do. <laughs> you speak six languages. And so what did you do with that? What was your progression before you got into sustainability in the oceans? Mm -hmm. So what I did was um, as I like when I was with women's with that women's organization Courage, I traveled a lot around the world and I was working and volunteering in different projects, focusing on microgridded, for example, in India, or I was um, working in um, Belize within the women's organization that was focusing on HIV AIDS. So all different, like all different topics that affect women. Um, and then I came to Peru. I was um, there with an organization that was focusing on labor rights for women and also unions. So how can women organize themselves to fight for their rights at the workplace? Um, and there in my free time, I visited the coast, a little town that's called Tortugas, which means uh, turtles in Spanish. And there I came across the wives of fishermen. So what happened that these um, ladies, they were affected by domestic violence. They were beaten, they were raped, all the sorts of horrible things that you can imagine that includes domestic violence, physical and psychological violence. And that kind of violence had gotten up in a certain amount of time. It had raised. And then talking with these ladies, they told me that the reason for the increase in domestic violence was that their husbands, the fishermen, they were catching less and less fish. So that's how I learned about the link between women's rights and marine conservation. So explain what that is for people who don't know why they're catching less and less fish. Mm. So the question, so the problem was um, in that little town, they were living off small scale fisheries which means that they go out in little boats, like not the huge industrial sized vessels that you imagine, but like little boats, like, like nutshells, you know, that they go out and then they fish for their own consumption and a little bit also to sell on the market and being able to provide for themselves and their families. So the problem was there, there had been some overfishing from industrial vessels from the neighbor country, Chile, and also um, pollution marine pollution, be it like um, toxins or plastics in the ocean. So that was the reason, and also they're overfishing, you know, through, through like overfishing and um, toxins and plastics in the ocean. So that was the reason that there was not enough fish. Yeah. So through the not having enough fish, the fishermen in this case, because Tortuga is, is also a very, kind of isolated town, you know, it's very barren, there's not much space or the soils are not made for agriculture. Um, so there's actually only fish to provide for the livelihood for the people. So um, not being able to provide for your family, they send them down a really negative spiral of um, alcohol abuse and aggression. And of course, domestic violence is much more complex than that, but that kind of the easy explanation for how or why they lashed out towards their women. And what were you able to accomplish with that? I was not able to accomplish anything, you know, like for me that what I did was I got the information. 
And because I was totally new to the topic, I was like, wow. So my mind was really blown. I was shocked and like surprised at the same time. Because for me, um, after having had this dream of becoming an interpreter when I was a teenager, um, my when I was in my 20s, I said, okay, I want to work in women's rights. I want to work for an organization, um, giving workshops and um, training on how women can empower themselves. And then I was like, oh no, there's, so there's another topic like marine conservation that I haven't never thought about, like not only marine conservation, but environmental issues and nature as a whole. Um, before I always thought that people who deal with environment are the ones that don't wash themselves, you know, they have poor hygiene, they wear weird clothes, they have this worldview that is totally whack, you know, it's like not realistic. So, um, and then for the first time, I came in touch with this kind of topic. And then I went back to Germany, but I took it with me, it kind of never let, like, never let go of me. Um, and so I kept thinking, you know, like I kept thinking, like, what can I do for these women or what can I do with other for other women who have similar um, problems or challenges? Because I realized that this problem of um, domestic violence and fishing communities is something that is happening all over the world. So I tried to investigate. I read a lot on the Internet, you know, uh, and then later what I came up with when I went back to Bolivia was I thought that um, aquaculture was the solution. So aquaculture for women. Um, so that was my next trajectory um, stop. Yeah. And what did you do with aquaculture? <laughs> so what happened was my then boyfriend, he was Bolivian. So we went to Lake Chichicaca, which is one of the, yeah, the, the most famous um, lake at the border between Bolivia and Peru. And his uncle, he had an aquaculture project so one day we went there to visit and I was like, now I finally found the solution. So I'm going to like, um, you know, like get into aquaculture and build a project so that women can make a livelihood. And then we, when we um, got out of the car, the first thing that I saw was a bucket, bucket of dead fish. Um, and when I saw that bucket of dead fish, I knew immediately, I was like, okay, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to work with dead fish. You know, I don't want to pit the, the happiness or the life of one living being against another. Um, and I was like, okay, there has to be another way. So I went back um, to investigating and researching and reading, and then I discovered marine protected areas. And I thought, okay, so this is the part that I want to go. Um, I want to work so that marine beings can be healthy and be alive, and then find other ways for people like humans and other um, animals to live in a harmonious way together. Okay, and what is that? <laughs> so <laughs> where are we with this story? So then what happened is, yeah, as I came across marine protected areas, I learned how important they are. They're basically like, like reserves like on, on land where um, the biodiversity, like all the animals that are there, they're like the fauna and also the, fl uh, the flora are protected so that they cannot be harmed from humans. So that's where I'm at right now. How does that actually help um, humans and how does that create a livelihood for you and bring you an actual business that you're doing today? 
Okay, so um, I've come a long way, as you've already seen. So it's not necessarily everything interconnected in like, now I can make a living from this or I can help women have a living from this. So I've come from women's rights to basically animal rights because now I see that, okay, um, I've been working with women for, until 2008. And then I realized, okay, so there are other beings that are being kind of forgotten, which are the marine animals. And I want to may be able to um, give them a voice, you know, because um, through my social work, I've also been doing social work as for women, but also with youth. Um, I learned to listen to beings. That's actually how I would define social work, like have, like see how our their needs met, what are their challenges, what are their fears, um, how can you make them happy? And then I realized when I got into marine conservation, I realized, okay, um, the home of the animals, the marine animals is being polluted, is being overfished, you know, they don't have enough space to be free and to be living the lives that they want for themselves, being able to procreate. Um, and so that's what I want to do. I want to be able to give them a voice and make marine protected areas visible for people so that they can understand how important they are. So what are you doing to get there? I am giving workshops and talks on marine protected areas and marine conservation in general. So um, that means I go to universities or community colleges um, or other, any kind of institution, any kind of um, also individual, you know, who wants to learn more about marine conservation and how they can help to make an impact for the ocean and also the planet as a whole. And then we have discussions, you know, like how can we prevent, for example, um, prevent the ocean from being more and more polluted by plastic, by toxins, what are the individual actions and also what is happening with the marine life? How can we as an individual act to prevent the oceans from getting emptier and, and sicker? So um, it's about in information. You know, I'm not a scientist, um, but I want to be a voice for all the knowledge that is out there and sometimes gets a little bit lost in scientific language. So I read whatever is out there, you know, and try to translate that into like common language so that people of all walks of life are able to come to the talks or workshops and being able to grasp, okay, so this is what is happening. And this is what I can do as an individual to make a change. Yeah, that's one of the big problems actually um, is the scientists, they're just not, they're not talkers. Um, that was not their thing. I mean, just by the fact that they chose the word, you know, global warming, and then all these people could say, well, it's cold today, so it must not be happening. <laughs> Just all kinds of stuff like that. That, But that's great. And so um, so that keeps you alive and keeps, and are you doing your social work on the side? How are you staying supported? Um, I used to work for a marine conservation NGO, but now I'm looking for a new job. So I'm doing this on the side. I can't make a living of this, um, but actually that was never the intention. So I was like not, um, I didn't go into it, it kind of the topic, I didn't go look for the topic, the topic kind of found me. 
and was kind of a stage five clinger. So sobbing never got rid of me. So um, I think it's kind of a little, how can I say, it's like a little flame, a little spark that got into me and kind of is, has created this whole different path. Um, and I still don't know where this is going to lead me. Uh, so I have to like make a living from other things, you know, being like social work or looking for a job at the United Nations, which I am doing currently, um, other things. But I still want to go on and educate people about the ocean because I think that's really important, not only for humans, but also for the planet as a whole. And as you said, I think, I think there are a lot of scientists who are trying to get the word out and who are very, very um, successful at doing so. But I think still there needs to be kind of um, a, a messenger for every kind of person or for every person that is out there. And that is not necessarily a scientist. I had this, for example, um, uh, experience where I was at the school in Berlin and there were a lot of kids um, of color. You know, there were migrants from different kinds of countries. And I think that was for them the first time that they saw also a person of color speaking in front of them. And I remember there were like two or three girls who were wearing a hijab who came up to me after the talk and they were like, wow, I'm so impressed. Like, finally, I see someone looking like me. I'm not wearing a hijab, but I was also, I'm also a brown person. So <laughs> they kind of came up to me and was like, wow, this is so good. So now that I can see someone doing this, I can also imagine myself doing something similar. So, um, yeah. Yeah, they say in psychology that you have to see it in order to be it. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about for people who want to, you know, take something that grabs them like that as a spark um, and move them toward something that's more meaningful in their life. What are your tips and tricks for doing that? And with the idea being that it, um, it may come and get you, you may not be going to look for it, but it's a passion that, that grabs you and you may have to do it in concert with the business that actually pays you, right? Mm. So maybe. Yeah, Leslie. So I've brought um, a couple of tips. So the first one won't be to um, make an inventory of your skills. So before you like go on your new path or new passion, you have to, or you can sit down and see, okay, what do I have? What do I need? So you don't have to start from scratch. Everybody has skills. Sometimes you're not even aware of that. So evaluate what skills you already have. Like for me, it was, um, I've been working with people, so networking, and then also public speaking. And basically what I would also call a very, very important skill is empathy and emotional intelligence. So being able to understand what another being might be going through. So, and then also see what skills do you really need to learn anew. Because you are starting over, depending on your age, you maybe don't have time or you don't have um, the financial, financial resources to learn new skills or you can't afford it. So you start to go back or to start to go back to university. So what can you learn? How can you learn what you really need um, with maybe zero budget. Um, so what I did, I didn't have any budget. I read a lot online a lot. Um, I met relevant people, you know, I just invited them for coffee. And then I said, okay, so what can you tell me? What do you think I need? Or what are your recommendations? And also, um, 
I looked at the very broad scope of marine conservationists, divers, sailors, activists, scientists. So basically everybody who is passionate and loves to work for the ocean. Um, and it's also important to invest time and money and energy to go to relevant events and conferences. I also did MOOCs like the massive online courses, which are mostly for free at Coursera, for example. And as I said, the main skill that I needed was empathy, um, like going through, like the, seeing the world through the eyes of a dolphin or a puffer fish or understand, okay, so I've been working with women who had a lot of challenges. Um, I have been working with youth who have a lot of challenges in their life and what we an animal have in terms of pain, fear, or happiness um, that I can help with and make the life better for that being. So yes. So the second tip that I have would be to find overlaps or bridges that link your old and your new path. So that can be people, that can be a topic um, that can connect and kind of help you transition. So for me, it was the women you know, like women in fisheries or women in aquaculture. Um, and then when I went to the conferences, I put up, kind of put on my gender glasses, so to speak. And then I looked at the female marine conservationists and then I was like, okay, so what kind of challenges specifically does she have? Um, for example, is she not allowed to speak as much as a male conservationist or for example, concerning work in the field, is it kind of, is she more in risk? because of sexual harassment, you know? So all these things uh, made me also see the, like the, the, sorry, the women's rights aspect of it. Um, so it was easier for me to go up to them and talk with them about these issues and it made also a bonding possible. So, yeah, um, and also, yeah, so that would be that part. Um, and the third one, that I would recommend is also to pick your battles. So um, for me, it was about like picking a specific topic or niche where I thought I can make a difference or a change, which is for me, marine protected areas. So I don't want to be a scientist. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a marine biologist. I didn't do the scientific, I don't have the scientific background for that but I want to communicate to the broader public what is happening to the oceans, why marine protected areas are important um, and how individually, for example, through not eating seafood when you don't really need it or um, politically through making MPAs and their benefits and necess necessity more visible to decision makers. So all these things um, are, are what I decided to do, so yeah. Those are great. And I love the fact that you're saying that you don't have to have a lot of money to reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, and there is a lot of free stuff out there. And that is one of the questions I'm often asked is how do you do stuff when you don't have a lot of money, um, but you still have to do it. And I think you have to use, use your, use your clever skills, right? Mm. I think especially in this day and age, when as soon as you know, you know how to spell stuff and you know the alphabet and you can type in Google, right? Um, <laughs> the world is at your fingertips, you know, yes. there's every kind of information that you want and you can find. Of course, you need to fact check it, you know, not everything that is on the internet is like, right. 
yeah, true information, but still, you know, there's a lot out there and you can find it if you're willing to go for it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. That's just great information. And where can we find you if somebody wants to contact you and talk to you? Where do they find you? Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. So I have a Facebook page um, for Ocean Education. I also have an Instagram page with just OE underscore Ocean Education. Um, yeah, so that's basically where I am. So basically our, your Facebook page is where we should look for you. Yes, and Instagram. Great. And you're still out there giving talks and all that kind of stuff, right? Yes, I'm giving everything is done online now. Right. Like I think most of the countries so still yep. giving talks. It's <laughs> perfect. Well, I love it. And where are you located? Now I'm living in Munich, Germany. Ah, great. Okay, so that's what's so great is that we can help each other around the world, which I think is fantastic. So thank you for your time. I so appreciate it. And good luck with you're going to find something great. I know it. Thank you, Leslie. Take care. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tharaka about how to segue to your new idea without throwing a ton of money at it. And if you did, I hope you will subscribe. And I also hope that you will pass this podcast along to anybody you know who is trying to reinvent themselves. And if you like reinvention and want to know more about it and how to get it done, we have so much stuff over at CoveyClub.com. We have a blog. We teach three times a week. We also do coaching on Monday mornings. And we also have a Build Your Biz entrepreneurial group, which is fantastic for giving you support as you try to segue into your new, uh, new world and new you. And I hope you'll come join us. Come over to CoveyClub.com, see what we're all about. And pass this podcast along to any friend you know who needs help with reinvention because it's not hard and it can be done but it's hard to do all alone and it's hard to do if you don't have the information and we want to be the support for you so come join Covey Club let us be the support for you and many happy reinventions take care